Let's turn to the scriptures. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 4, please. Romans chapter 4. The last verse of Romans chapter 4, verse 25. This evening we're going to consider Jesus raised again for our justification. We see that in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Let's read it now. Who was delivered for our offences and was raised again for our justification. This morning we considered the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ for repentant sinners who trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. And there was that emphasis, wasn't there, on repentance and faith in Jesus. The two are different, but two sides of the same coin. This evening we shall turn our attention to his resurrection from the dead. Looking at the second part of verse 25, it speaks of Jesus being raised again for our justification. When you study the words and the ministry of the Apostle Paul in his letters and in the Acts of the Apostles, you'll see that he seemed to be forever proclaiming the gospel, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus laying down his life as the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. For example, Paul said in his letter to the Corinthian Christians, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. But having said that, Paul never seemed to miss an opportunity to preach the resurrection of Jesus either. Such as when he was in Thessalonica, we are told that he went into the synagogue of the Jews over a period of three Sabbath days and reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. So clearly the Apostle Paul, he preached the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he also seized upon every opportunity to preach the resurrection of Christ. Also, Jesus himself spoke plainly to his disciples, both of his impending death and his resurrection. Very clearly, in fact, listen to this, in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 to 34, Jesus went into great detail when he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. When Jesus was crucified, what happened? Wicked men, they laid their hands on him, they slew him. And again, as this was all pointed out this morning, the scourges, the buffeting, the crown of thorns, all that happened, all that happened, all the that was afflicted upon the Lord Jesus Christ by those wicked men. 
It was done with the predetermined counsel of God and with his foreknowledge. Everything that happened, it was according to God's eternal decree. When you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that God actually chose Jesus, his son, to come into this world as the Lamb of God. What was it that the that John the Baptist said when he heralded the coming of Jesus? He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. As I say, Jesus came into the world as a sacrifice, as, a, as God's chosen sacrifice for sin. As it is written in prophecy, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. Those words in Isaiah 53 were written about 700 years before Jesus came into the world. 700 years before Jesus was born of a virgin. Likewise, where we read in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 that Jesus was raised again for our justification, it needs to be understood that God raised Jesus from the dead. It was God who bruised the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it was God who raised Jesus. That is very clearly stated in the Bible. For example, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it is written, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God have raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. God raised Jesus from the dead. At this point, it's as well to remember the truth that is declared to us in the Bible that God is three persons. Christians worship a triune God. Three glorious persons. The Bible speaks of God the Father. For example, the Lord Jesus Christ, he prayed to his Father and he taught his disciples to pray to his Father to their father in heaven. Perhaps you prayed that same prayer. Our father which art in heaven. But also Jesus is himself. The eternal son of God. For example in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. A verse which I quote very often. Especially when I'm in conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. And you look at the context for yourself in chapter 1, verse 8. God the Father says to his Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. God the Father addressing his Son as God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Thirdly, divinity is ascribed to the Holy Ghost, such as in Acts chapter 5 where the Apostle Peter had some very strong words to say to a man by the name of Ananias. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, it is written, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? 
whilst it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You need to look at that for yourself. In verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit in verse 3. And then in verse 4, Peter said to him, you have not lied to men, but to God. One of the things that can be seen in those two verses is that when Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit, he was lying to God. All three persons of the triune Godhead are mentioned in one breath in various places in the Bible, such as in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, when Jesus was giving instructions to his disciples concerning baptism, and he said to them, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. This verse, it shows the equality between all three persons of the triune Godhead. Not just baptizing them in the name of the Father, but in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Based upon what the Bible has declared in the, this verse that we, uh, that I've just read to you from uh, Matthew 28, verse 19, and various other verses, the Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689, has rightly said, in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, of one substance, power and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided, the Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite without beginning. Therefore, but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him. With that in mind, it's not surprising to see that God the Father has raised Jesus from the dead. We've, because we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 25, that he was raised again for our justification. God raised Jesus for our justification and we see in the Bible that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. For example, in the opening words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians, Paul said, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So we've got God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Also, the Bible speaks of God the Son raising himself. For example, in John chapter 2 and verse 19, 
Jesus said to the Jews, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. They thought he was talking about the temple made with with stones in Jerusalem. They couldn't understand it. How can Jesus raise that temple up again? It took 48 years to build that temple. However, the gospel writer kindly informs us that Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body, that he would raise his body up on the third day. Likewise, in John chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus spoke of his authority, not only to lay down his life, but also to take it up again. (coughs) Jesus was given authority to do these things. When you study the scriptures, the, the gospels, Jesus did nothing apart from the will of his father. And so for certain people may see this as Jesus being in some way inferior to his father. But he came into this world, uh, under, he, he sub, to subjected himself to the law. Though he was in the form of God, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And when you think about it, Jesus saying that he could that he had authority not only to lay down his life, but to take it up again. Who, other than the Son of God, could say those things? Even if they were given authority. Can an angel in heaven say, I've got authority to take my life up again? Could you? Anyone in here say, I have authority to take my life up again? Jesus, the Son of God, was given authority. He had authority by virtue of himself being God and he had authority from his father to take up his life again. He had the power and the authority to do those things. Jesus was raised for our justification. Those who are trusting in him, look again at verse 25, he was raised again for our justification. Interestingly, other English versions of the Bible inform us that Jesus was raised again because of our justification. So he was raised again for our justification. He was raised again because of our justification. If you look at the original Greek word, it can mean either of those. Either way, in this verse, it's very clear that the Christian's right standing before a holy God is ascribed not only to his sacrificial death, which is spoken of in the first part of the verse, but also in some way to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly, when you consider a Christian's position before God, it is one of being declared righteous by God. It's nothing that we have done. When you trust in Jesus, God himself declares you righteous and you are accepted in his son, his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. After all, it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. We have forgiveness through the shedding of his precious blood. The work of redemption was completed at the cross 
And so it is that before Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Taking nothing away from the glorious truth of his obedience throughout his life and in death, we who are trusting in him do not stand before God clothed in the righteousness of a dead saviour, do we? If you're a Christian, you're right standing before God, you're clothed with garments of salvation, with a robe of righteousness, you're adorned with those things. It's not the righteousness of a dead saviour. Jesus is alive, he has risen from the dead, He has ascended to heavenly glory where he now makes intercession for his redeemed at the right hand of his heavenly father. All of those things speak very clearly of God's acceptance and full approval of what took place beforehand, of what took place at the cross. The very fact that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. To understand the significance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was clearly significant to the Apostle Paul. To understand the importance of the resurrection and his subsequent ascension to heavenly glory, when it comes to our justification, it might be helpful for you to understand something about the animal sacrifices that took place uh, that we read of in the Old Testament. For example, on the annual day of atonement, the Jewish high priest, he killed the sacrifices for sin in the outer court. He then took blood from the sacrifices into the most holy place, which was a type of heaven, and he sprinkled the blood upon the mercy seat. However, the death And the blood of animals could never provide anything more than an outward cleansing. If those sacrifices were able to provide a deep and lasting purification, there would have been no need to repeat that ritual year after year. As it was, each time those sacrifices were offered, it was yet another reminder, a new reminder to the people of their sins and their need of the Saviour. Eventually, in the fullness of time, Jesus, he offered himself at the cross and afterwards he entered not the most holy place of the tabernacle or the temple, but he entered heaven itself, not by means of the blood of animals, but by his own precious blood. What this all means for you who are trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, is that now you have the liberty to enter into heaven, where Jesus now is. You would not have that liberty to enter into heaven if Jesus was still dead in the grave. Jesus is risen, and the life that you now live, dear Christian, by faith in the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself for you, the life you now live is a new life, isn't it? A resurrection life through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who, was, who rose triumphant from the grave. 
As it is written in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You have a holy boldness to enter into heaven itself by the blood of Jesus that was shed with a saviour who is now in heaven. In the meantime, consider it your joy and your privilege to serve your risen saviour in the born-again life that he has given you until the day dawns when your faith is replaced by sight, when you enter into his presence and you behold his glory. To the rest of you, let me repeat a verse of scripture that I quoted earlier. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God have raised him from the dead, you will be saved. May Easter be a time for all of you that extends beyond the chocolate eggs and the Easter bunnies. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, you will be saved. What a wonderful thing that is. Nothing better. There is really nothing better, nothing more important for any one of us here. Put everything else aside. All your earthly ambitions, all the things that you want to do this week and beyond, all your plans, forget the lot. This is the most important, to believe in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for your justification, your right standing before a holy and righteous God. Amen.